Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 837. Believe in yourself. Believe in your abilities. Don't give up. And whatever you do, keep going. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Rick Houston. Hey, Rick, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Let's roll, man. All right. Rick Houston is a veteran journalist with 25-plus years of experience. He's produced countless bylines for a variety of publications and websites, and he's authored nine books. His latest book, Dale vs. Daytona, The Intimidator's Quest to Win the Great American Race, has just been published by Car Tech Books. It's a detailed chronicled event about Dale Earnhardt's attempts to win the Daytona 500. Rick has covered NASCAR since 1991 and was the Bush Series editor to NASCAR Winston Cup scene. Rick's authored numerous books on NASCAR, including NASCAR's Greatest Race, the 1992 Hooters 500. Rick has a fascination with ordinary people accomplishing extraordinary things and has authored books on racing and the human spaceflight program and today one lucky cars yes subscriber is going to win a copy of this cool new book compliments of car tech books and rick so to be eligible make sure you go to the cars yeah website click on the free book button i'll send you my free filler up book and your name will be in the hat for the drawing so rick i've told our listeners just a little bit about you would you take a brief moment and share a little more about your career and an obvious passion for things that go real fast <laughs> well, I can remember very vividly uh, in the late 1980s, uh, I, I was a big baseball fan, and in particular of Pete Rose. Uh, and about that time, of course, he was going through all of his troubles, and I was I was getting very jaded on his career. And I went over to my best friend's house there in Nashville, Tennessee, a, sur- a suburb of Nashville, and his mom is the biggest NASCAR fan on the face of the earth. <laughs> she is she is the definition of what it means to be a NASCAR fan. Cool. And to just be around her on a NASCAR race day, it's an event. You spend the day watching a race and, and talking about who's going to win, talking about who's not doing well, talking about your favorite, talking about their favorite, talking about their least favorite, your least favorite. <laughs> and it it really became a passion of mine. And I have this thing, when I get interested in something, I get really, really interested in it. You know, so when I got interested in NASCAR, I didn't just watch the races. I had to learn about the drivers. I had to learn about the races. I had to learn about the history. And I just really, really got into it. And then it wasn't good enough to, just to be a fan. Then I had to work in it. <laughs> and I, I was able to write. I'd always been on the newspaper staff in high school. I, I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, I had gone to college and I had taken a couple of journalism courses. And so luckily, uh, it, it took a while and it was a very hard road there for a long time. But I was a I was eventually able to combine those two passions for journalism and for NASCAR, and I was able to make a career out of it. 
Well, not unlike any racing driver, never ever give up, have a lot of persistence, and just stay at it. That's the uh, at least what I hear from a lot of race car drivers, but it sounds like that's what you've done to be able to be successful in what you're doing. And yeah, you have immense yourself in it. You've been involved in it for a long time now. And no doubt that journalistic curiosity is part of what got you bit, or I should say bit the bug for you to uh, get involved (laughs) in this sport. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. And it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires smoking since we're talking about NASCAR today here on Cars. Yeah. So Rick, take the wheel. Over the last few years, I've lost a, a lot of weight. I, uh, I've lost approximately eighty to a hundred pounds. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in that in that area. I'm not an athlete, but I've I've run. Uh, se- I've run. I, I've lost count of the number of of five Ks that I've run, the ten Ks, the half marathons. I've done a sprint triathlon, and I read a quote that said that once you you have to realize that your battle is not against the other runners your battle is against that little voice in the back of your head telling you to quit mm, yes and I, I really have kind of tried to apply that to my career as well you know because as a writer you can you can get very jealous sometimes Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see other writers having a lot of success in this business. You can't compare yourself to J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. You can't compare yourself to John Grisham. You can only compare yourself to the best work that you can do. Congratulations for that. First and foremost, Man, that's a huge amount of weight to lose, which means there was some commitment there. And you talked about at the beginning of our talk, once you latch onto something, you don't let go. So obviously that little voice in your head finally said, you know what, I need to take better care of myself. I need to lose some weight. Part of it obviously was part of a running regimen, which uh, really applaud you for that, because that is not easy thing to do. And you're right. I think the more important message here, aside from becoming healthy, is when you start comparing yourself to others, especially very famous people, it can get a little demoralizing. And all of a sudden, you kind of go, I'm never going to get there. And you give up. And that's the last thing you need to do. It's like that guy in the middle pack of the NASCAR racer at the end. If he did that, he'd just pull off into the pits and throw his helmet down and walk away. But, you know, you never know. You just stay with it, and eventually you can work your way through the pack, and maybe someday you will cross the finish line first. So I think that's a great analogy in many, many ways. And, again, I compliment you on your accomplishments. That's absolutely fantastic. Well, Let's go back in time a little bit. You talked about going over to that friend's house with his mom, who's a huge NASCAR fan. Oh, my gosh, I can only imagine. But I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you look back when you realize that you were indeed a car guy? I think the first time that I ever got behind the wheel. My dad, I can remember very vividly, my dad, I had never had a driving lesson I had never driven anything mechanical before, but my dad one day came to me and and told me that they weren't going to go to church. And he handed me the keys to the car and said, you're going to church. 
and I had never driven a vehicle before. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and we lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and so I drove through Nashville traffic to get to church, and, and we lived probably 10 miles from, our, from where we went to church. Wow. And it, it was an experience. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> once I got to church, I realized that it was a sense of freedom. Mm, yes. And, you know, I was still a teenager. I was still living at home. But it helped me to realize that, you know, once I got out on my own and once I had my own vehicle, I could go basically anywhere I wanted to go with that set of wheels. Yeah, there's nothing like that first sense of freedom when you drive a car. I mean, I think we all remember it, and if we love cars, we remember it even more. Maybe there was something to Dad sending you off on your own to church. Maybe God was sitting in the passenger seat kind of watching (laughs) over you a little bit to make sure you got there safe and sound. Wow, that's a pretty bold, brave move. I wonder if he'd planned that all along to kind of instill a sense of confidence in you. Do you think that was his plan? I have no idea what he was thinking, <laughs> because I can assure you that that's not the way that I would have taught my children to drive. Uh, no, no, not me either. Uh, no, absolutely not. But, you know, different times, uh, slower times. And uh, I think about these days, how busy roads are and how inattentive so many people are and how careful you have to be these days. So, yeah, just throwing a, t- a tossing a set of keys to the kids saying, go to church, see you later. I, I probably wouldn't do that either. But it looks like you survived and you made it and you learned a great lesson. So, Oh, definitely. <laughs> Fantastic. Definitely. Well, Rick, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down. You talked about when you went into the field of journalism, it was a bit of a challenge, and maybe that's what you'd like to talk about now, but I'd love for you to take us to a point in time of a huge challenge or even a big failure that you faced, and kind of walk us through that. But of course, the most important part of this is what we learn from these situations. So share that with us, would you? When I first got into NASCAR, my first wife had decided that she didn't want to be married to somebody uh, who was such a dreamer who wanted to work in NASCAR. She she had decided that she didn't want to be married anymore, and I, I eventually wound up moving to North Carolina so I could get into NASCAR. And I was going to the races. I was doing stringer work for a newspaper in Columbia, Tennessee, and I wasn't getting paid anything for it. All I was getting was a credential into the race. I wasn't, getting, wasn't being paid any expenses or anything. Uh, I went to the race in Martinsville, Virginia, uh, in October of 1992. I slept in my car. Wow. I snuck food out of the press box. I went to the race the next weekend in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina, and I got to the racetrack on Friday morning, you know, and I was planning to do the same thing, sleep in my car and, you know, sneak food out of the press box. And, and I got to the track on Friday morning. And I found out that they, they didn't serve food in the press box until until Sunday. Uh-oh. And, uh, Mark, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I've never been more frightened and more alone in my life. Mm. And to this day, and I actually tell... I actually tell this story in the in the introduction to the uh, NASCAR's Greatest Race book, uh, but I can remember the smell of the personal pan pizzas that the other reporters were able to buy. Mm. And I went to the car. I, I actually had met a, a friend of mine uh, a few weeks before at, at another race, 
And I asked him to borrow a quarter to 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 make a phone call, mm-hmm. and he gave me two dollars. Nice. And he, that's what I bought my dinner with that night. Uh, I bought a, I bought a bag of potato chips and a baby Ruth candy bar. Oh gosh. And I went to my car that night. My chips were my were my dinner, and the baby Ruth candy bar was was my snack. And I, I would chew that that candy bar each bite until there was literally nothing left. Yeah. And I, in my life, I have never prayed more sincerely or more deeply than I did that night. And the only two words that I could think of to say were, Oh God. Yeah. You know, the next, the next morning I woke up and I went to the infield media center and Deb Williams, the editor of Winston cup scene, which was the Bible of the the NASCAR world at the time, uh, told me that they were going to run a story of mine the next week. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a full time job or anything, but it was it was at least a little pinprick of light. Yeah. You know, so that was that was reason for at least a little bit of optimism. And then I went to the press box and the guy who had given me the two dollars came up to me and he said, Rick, I don't know why I didn't tell you this before. But the family that owns my newspaper owns a little newspaper near here. And they need a sports editor. Would you be interested? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I I, I basically screamed at him, yes. I I, I didn't ask where it was. I didn't ask any details. didn't ask how much it paid. But I got that job. And I stayed there almost exactly two years. And then I got the job at at Winston Cup scene. Wow. Well, you know, first and foremost, thank you for taking us to an incredibly – personal time in your life and talk about a challenge. And and my takeaway from this is if you really want something bad enough, you will go through hell and high water to get it. You'll sacrifice, you'll fight, you'll do whatever it takes. And that's what I hear you talking about here. I mean, first and foremost, losing a spouse, divorce is so troubling and challenging and the fact that you had this focus you wanted you had this dream and you know your your spouse wasn't ready to go there with you she didn't want to take those challenges and uh, the fact that you just stayed laser focused and fought through it and took us through that very personal time thank you for sharing that with us wow and kudos to you for sticking with it and uh yeah if you just keep focusing and working hard enough eventually that little breakthrough will happen making connections that gentleman who you borrowed a quarter from and <laughs> gave you a couple bucks so wow what a story what a story well you've come a long way baby as they say so uh congratulations for that well let's shift gears and go to a uh, maybe a lighter end of the spectrum here. I'd love for you to share a story where you had one of those career aha moments. It's a time when you go, yes, that's where I need to go. So tell us about yours. Winston Cup scene. It was the newspaper that my best friend's mom had subscribed to. It was how I learned to become a race fan. It's where I picked up most, if not all of my knowledge as a race fan. I read every issue from cover to cover. And, of course, the first thing that I did as an aspiring writer was to contact the offices and ask, you know, and and make contact and and ask if there would be any way that I could write for them. And they basically, you know, said, you know, not right now. We don't have any openings in in that kind of thing. But I I kept in contact. Uh, When I moved to North Carolina, I introduced myself. And when I got the job at the little newspaper, I signed the editors up for a subscription. 
I started going to more and more races. So I would, you know, make sure to keep in contact with Deb and Steve and that kind of thing. And then in September of 94, I reached out to Deb and Steve and, and to see if they had any openings. And, and every aspiring motorsports rider reached out to them. And they just didn't have anything at the time. So when I moved to North Carolina and started work for the, the little newspaper uh, in Sparta, North Carolina, uh, I signed them up for a sub- subscription uh, when I went to races, I would always be sure and, and you know, uh, speak to them and say hello and that kind of thing. Uh, in 93, they uh, I did a few stories for them. Uh, in 94, they put me on retainer to where I was re- responsible for two stories a month. And then in September, Deb called and said they had an opening that they were creating a new staff position. Nice. <laughs> For this guy that bugs us all the time. We, yeah, we got to give him something to do. <laughs> yeah, and she she asked me if I would be interested. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think you screamed again. That was the second <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, so, wow. You know, I think your two middle names are persistence and tenacity. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So I actually started work uh, for them full-time on November the 1st, 1994, and that that was my... That was my hallelujah moment. Yeah. Wow. Because that was the peak of Mount Everest. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, kidding. Because I can really correlate everything that I've done since then to that moment, be it NASCAR or the spaceflight program, because it was it was that moment that gave me credibility. Very nice. Very nice story. I love it. Well, how about a, a proudest career moment? I would assume you've had plenty of those. But is there one that sticks out that you would share? It doesn't relate to NASCAR or cars necessarily, mm-hmm. but I wrote a book about the guys who worked in mission control during the Apollo era, and that was such a journey for me to get to know some of those people and some of those old men who were still so proud of the work that they had done back in the late 1960s and early 70s. And I was I was very fortunate to be able to uh, see that book uh, inspire a documentary film, and the very we worked on it, uh, we filmed it in the the summer of 2015 and the spring of 2016. And the first time that we we showed it in public was at an event in Tucson, Arizona, in June of 2016. And when the lights went down and the music started playing. I don't think I've ever cried so hard in my life. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that was just such a moment because it was the culmination of a lot of hard work. You know, I had pitched it. I had pitched that film project to several people, to several agents and had been turned down. Uh, you know, it, it was it was, you know, you, you said tenacity and perseverance if nothing else, I'm stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. In a very good way. You know, congratulations yeah. for that. Yeah. There's nothing like all that work coming together. And so many people see finished products, projects or products or whatever it might be, and they don't realize what it took to get there. And I think it was Willie Nelson that said, I was an overnight success. It only took 20 years of <laughs> spending every night in a honky talk bar playing my guitar to become a success. So, wow. Kudos That's to so you cool. for that. That is absolutely absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's cool. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and go back in time. What was your first really special car? And maybe you could share a memory you have about that vehicle. 
I don't know that it was a special car. Well, special for you. <laughs> the first vehicle that I drove was a 1976 Jeep Wagoneer. Okay. And it had been driven by my uncle, uh, who was a foreman in one of the coal mines in southwest Virginia. And it looked like it had been through hell and back. And it had rusted out quarter panels. When I took my driver's test in it, I went to press the accelerator, and it didn't do anything. Uh-oh. <laughs> I went to press the accelerator a little bit harder. It still didn't do anything. So finally, I basically had to floor it before it would go, and then we took off and basically left skid marks in the parking lot. Uh, probably not a good thing to do with the driving instructor <laughs> sitting next to you looking at you going, what are you doing, kid? Let me out of this car. Yeah, exactly. But I can remember going to the Charlie Daniels Volunteer Jam with me and a bunch of my, my high school buddies, and it had snowed like 10, 12 inches the day before, and... My buddies were sitting in the back seat, and they would tell me it was clear to change lanes by looking through the floor, through the quarter panels. <laughs> oh my gosh! At, at the lanes, you know, so we could move back and forth. So yeah. Oh wow. That was my vehicle. So any anything else that I've ever driven, I've basically considered a step up from that. I think so. That's a funny story. I guess then I should count my blessings because I was very fortunate. My neighbor up the street owned a Chevy dealership. And when I went to take my driver's test, he gave me a brand new Camaro to drive. And he said, if you pass the test, you can keep this car for a week. And so the man, the, yeah, the man came out, got in the car. He looked at me, says, is this your car, kid? And I said, today it is. And, <laughs> and uh, he goes, wow, you're one lucky kid. And I said, I am, yeah. sir. I am. So, uh, yeah. And I did pass that test. That was a huge incentive because I wanted to be able to drive that car to school for a week. And I felt pretty special. But giving it back was a tough thing to do. So, oh, my goodness. Well, how about seller's remorse? I would assume that vehicle is not your seller's remorse story. But is there a car you've let go that we wish you had back? Honestly, I can't really think of one. You've always moved forward. <laughs> I've always moved forward. I really have. Now, I will say this. I have sentimental attachments to cars, to vehicles. And to this day, my 16-year-old son, my, my wife and I now uh, have 16-year-old twin sons. And to this day, one of my twin sons just gives us down the road for selling the Ford Expedition that we brought them home in. Oh, wow. From the hospital. Yeah. And he just, oh, he, he just, he just thinks that's the most evil thing <laughs> that we have ever done ever in, in our lives. Yeah. But the thing had over 300,000 miles when we sold it and had, had cracked an engine block. Yeah. Time to let it go. I don't know what we would have kept it for other than a boat anchor. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, I've got one of those stories in my life, a car I let go that my son has still never forgiven me for. So uh, I understand completely how your son's feeling. So, well, let's talk about this book, uh, Dale versus Daytona, The Intimidator's Quest to Win the Great American Race. And I remind our listeners, somebody out there is going to win a copy of this. So make sure you subscribe on the Car Show website. So tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write this book. You know, Dale Earnhardt was known for many things. Uh, he was known for being the Intimidator, One Tough Customer, The Man in Black, he was known for being very, very aggressive. Uh, he was known for having his seven championships 
But I think when people think about Dale Earnhardt, they think about him in Daytona. They think about him winning the twin 125s. They think about him winning the Bush Clash and the Bud Shootouts and the IROC races and everything there was to win at Daytona. But then they think about all those Daytona 500s that he lost. And he lost, <laughs> poor Dale, he lost them in every single way that you could possibly lose a Daytona 500. Yeah. He had bad pit stops. He ran out of gas. He flipped. He wrecked. He just flat out had bad races. He cut a tire on the last lap leading going into turn three like he did in 1990. And it was the one prize, even though he had been so successful, it was the one prize that eluded him year after year after year. And it was almost like he was the racing gods had said, okay, you, have enough. you can have all the success, <laughs> yeah. but you can't have this one prize. That's the price that you've got to pay. Right. Until that one year, that one magical year in 1998 when he finally did win it. But then, of course, three years later, he, he lost his life on the last lap of the Daytona 500. I know. The whole thing seems just unimaginable. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, from the – I have every Grand National – slash Winston Cup scene ever printed from 1977, the very, very first issue, through the year before they stopped publication. And that is that is just a wealth of research. And I was able to dig and, and find stuff that uh, – it, it just the, the research is just so rich and, and so, so powerful. And the interviews that I was able to do, uh, you know, I, I was talking to Will Lind, uh, his longtime tire changer, and I asked him about the 1988 Daytona 500. And he said, I don't really remember much about that race other than the car was very, very illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a NASCAR race. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, now we're on to something. Yeah. Now I got my hook set in the fish. Let's reel yeah. it in. Exactly. So we talked about that and just the just the research and the interviews. It was a true, true joy to put together because when I came into the sport in November of 94 full time, he had just clinched his seventh championship. And so all I knew of Dale Earnhardt was him being a seven time champion. He tended to be very gruff with people that he didn't know or was unfamiliar with. I never got inside that circle. Mm -hmm. But the true joy of putting this book together was was talking to people who knew him and getting behind that veil a little bit. And, you know, at his essence, Dale was just, he was still the good old boy from Kannapolis, North Carolina, who hit the big time. Yeah. He was the very essence of a rags-to-riches story. Yeah. And that was the one takeaway that I had from doing this book. Wow. Well, I'll remind our listeners again, it's Dale versus Daytona, the Intimidator's Quest to Win the Great American Race. And this book is uh, just about available now, I believe, right? Or can people get their hands on, on it now? 
it will be released sometime this month. It should be in the warehouse now. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, again, I'll put a link to this on your website, Rick, so that our listeners can find it. And one lucky listener is going to win a copy of this very cool book. So that's exciting. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Rick. If Rick was a car, what kind of car would Rick be and why? I think I would be something very dependable. I would be something that, that didn't stop that didn't break down every other mile post, every other light post. I would be something that uh, would get you from point A to point B. I wouldn't necessarily be anything flashy. I would probably be, I would say, a a Ford Explorer. (laughs) There you go. Well, you know, you kind of remind me of the Energizer Bunny. You just keep on going. Yeah, uh, just keep going. Yeah, I like that. I think that would be you, Rick, for sure. (laughs) Very cool. Well, Rick, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that milkshake the kid spilled in the back seat. It's the sun. Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install stay where you put them, and are custom pattern for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Rick, we are back and we're entering the last lap. This is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Change the oil regularly. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I just had that done on a car that I don't drive very much. And I was talking to the mechanic about uh, horror stories of when he screwed the pan bolt and Nothing comes out. And it's like, oh, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. My car had plenty of oil in it. But uh, those are other, yeah, other folks. Terrible. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success? I already know the answer to this one. <laughs> Don't stop. Don't believe stop. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Never give up. Now, how about resources? There's tons of great resources these days. But is there one in particular you'd like to share? I have a blog. And it's something that's very personal to me. 
I don't update it very regularly, but it, it's kind of it's kind of my it's kind of my journal, and it is something that I go to when I just need to talk, so to speak. I do a weekly blog here on Cars, yeah, for my subscribers, and you're right. It's a good way to think about it. It's a way to just reach out and talk to people, and I always tell people, even if you don't have your own business, you can easily set up a blog. There's all sorts of ways to do it, uh, just a way to put yourself out there a little bit or talk about things, and uh, you never know where those blogs can lead to. People can see them. You, they can end up picking you up. You never know. So I think those are a great way to communicate with people. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would that person be? I think, hands down, it would be Richard Petty. Cool. You know, Richard has so many stories. He is so genuine, and if I could add somebody else, it would be his son, Kyle. Oh, that'd be fun. Because Kyle has has been through so much, and he is one of the most honest people that I've ever encountered in the sport. Uh, he, he doesn't hold much back. And to be honest with you, uh, he and Dale Earnhardt Jr., it is so unfair when I hear people criticize Kyle Petty and Dale Earnhardt Jr. Well, they're not, they're not their daddy. They're not supposed to be their daddy. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be Kyle Petty and they're supposed to be Dale Earnhardt Jr. And, you know, I'll, I'll I'll take back Richard. I would sit down with Dale Jr. or, or Kyle because they have the stories. You know, those are big shadows to live under, and there's so many people who have parents that are bigger than life and have achieved so much, and you're trying to do your own thing. And I think you put it really well. They're not that person. They are their own person, and they're making their own way. So I think those would be some some great uh, times to sit around a table and uh, have a little drink and enjoy some conversation with those folks. Now, how about a book? I know we talked about your book, but is there another book that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? You know, being from Nashville, Tennessee, I, I, I always read uh, Larry Woody's stuff in the Nashville papers. And he wrote a book called Along for the Ride, a collection of stories from the fast and furious world of stock car racing. And it, it's fantastic. You know, as as I worked in racing and got to know Larry, Larry personally, Larry is awesome. <laughs> Larry doesn't take any crap from anybody. Uh, I can remember being in the press box uh, at Bristol. And Larry asked a very simple question of, of Tony Stewart about Jeff Gordon. And uh, Jeff and Tony had been involved in, a, in an incident in the Bristol Spring Race. And they had bumped on pit road or whatever. And then this was the night race. And they had been racing for the lead. And Larry asked a very simple, innocent question about you know, whether the spring race had played into the night race and how he approached that. And Tony pulled a Tony Stewart and kind of smarted off to Larry. And Larry wasn't taking any of Tony's crap. <laughs> and they kind of went back and forth for a few minutes. Well, after Tony left, <laughs> I have I have never heard a longer string of cuss words ever uttered. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> He kept, he, yeah, he kept his cool until he walked out of the room like, oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Larry is as old school as they get. Yeah. Uh, he was, he fought in Vietnam and after, after he got back, you know, continued to write it for the Nashville papers. Yeah. And yeah, uh, along for the ride, 
Yeah, you're you're along for the ride when you read Larry Woody's stuff. Well, it's, it sounds like it. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources that Rick has been so kind to share on his show notes page on the Cars Yeah website. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Rick Houston, and his page will pop up with all these links, including that very cool book. All right, Rick, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question could be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm being really nice. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet doesn't matter what it costs. I'm writing the check. I'm one of those big NASCAR winner's checks that the pretty girls hold up. And what would that vehicle be and why? I want a Dodge Charger uh, tricked out by Petty's Garage. Ooh, okay. That would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, how would you like that car specified? <laughs> I want it Petty Blue, <laughs> and I want it tricked out uh, with all the bells and whistles. Uh, I want the big engine. I want the big tires, and I want it built there at the Petty Enterprises shop. Nice. And that's and to me, to me, that's that's the allure. <laughs> yeah, because the Petty's garage uh, compound is the old Petty Enterprises compound. Yeah, yeah, where so much of that history took place. All of those two, all of Richard Petty's, well, most of Richard Petty's two hundred wins, all of his seven championships, all of. Uh, his daddy Lee's championships and wins were out of there. And that's where history took place. Yeah. And, and to have a car that was built and constructed on that hallowed ground would be truly an honor. Yeah, I think so. Well, listen, I'll give them a call. I'll get them going on that for you. And I'll get both Kyle and his dad, Richard, to sign the dash for you. I think that would be a nice <laughs> little final touch on that car. Awesome. Uh, I think this is going to cost me a little bit, but that's okay, Rick. I'm happy to do that for you today. Well, Rick, you've taken us on an awesome ride here. I knew since we were talking about NASCAR, this was going to be a wild ride, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that very cool Dodge Charger tricked out by the Petty Garage? Believe in yourself. Believe in your abilities. Don't give up. And whatever you do, keep going. Absolutely. Never, ever give up. And what's the best way for listeners to follow along with what you're doing and get their hands on a copy of this new book? Follow along what I'm doing on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page. Uh, you can get a copy of uh, any of my books on Amazon. Uh, you can also go to Cartex webpage, and they will be more than happy to hook you up. Uh, absolutely. My good friends at Cartech Books, they've been so kind to me. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Rick has shared on his show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just type Rick in the search bar. That page will pop up. And again, one lucky subscriber here on Cars Yeah is going to win a copy of this very cool new book. Once it's out, should be out in a couple weeks, and we'll mail it off to the winner. I look forward to uh, doing that, and I want to thank you, Rick, and the CarTech book people for donating that book so we can do that today. Rick, thanks for being so generous with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you so much. This has been fun. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. 
Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!